9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Vehicles get back. has entered a new space age and it's uh, one dominated by commercial players like Elon Musk and New Zealand's own Peter Beck, founder and CEO of Rocket Lab. Now today we, we, we hear about very large rockets you know, taking humans to, or aspiring to take humans to the moon and Mars and beyond and that's, that's really important. But there's a revolution going on in the space industry and it's not a revolution of the big, it's a revolution of the small. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, through one of our most lauded companies, Rocket Lab, New Zealand is a major player on the international space circuit. But who is watching what they're doing and asking if it's in our national interest? Rocket Lab launched four small satellites from Mahia Peninsula just after midnight. The largest is Global 4, the fourth in a series of high-resolution imaging satellites for US company Black Sky. Another two are for the US Air Force Space Command. The fourth satellite for French company Unseen Labs is the first in a group which will provide maritime surveillance. So if you, uh, if you want a dedicated launch to, to put your satellite into orbit at the moment and you want to buy your own rocket, currently it's the cheapest price you pay is $60 million and the average price you pay is $132 million. Right, and you can do it for what? $5 million? $4.5 million US dollars. But is that sense of national pride distracting us from the realities of what we're actually bringing beyond the atmosphere and who we're bringing it for? We are concerned that New Zealand make decisions like this as an independent principled voice and consider in that context whether or not our allies that we're sharing information with are going to use that information in armed conflict context, which we would not otherwise support. Rocket Lab was first incorporated almost 14 years ago by engineer and scientist Peter Beck. Three years later, in November 2009, the company broke new ground, becoming the first private company in the Southern Hemisphere to reach space with the launch of the Artia 1 rocket. And then the contracts started to roll in. And many of these contracts have a lot to do with what US President Donald Trump is talking about here. Very importantly, I'm here by directing the Department of Defense and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a space force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. That's a big statement. You might think of Rocket Lab as, you know, a classic feel-good Kiwi business story, and in a lot of ways it is. But Rocket Lab isn't just a boutique Kiwi company anymore. Ollie Neese is an investigative journalist who's looked into the company in a series of pieces for the spin-off website. So Rocket Lab potentially could transform um, the way people access space. So traditionally, to get into space, to get any kind of cargo or satellite into space, you've needed a really big rocket that costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time to plan for. But with Rocket Lab, it's launching quite small rockets uh, and it does that to launch quite small satellites into orbit. And so what that means is that potentially a whole range of people that could never afford to get stuff into space before, a whole range of companies and government agencies can now afford to do that. And in particular, they can afford to do it on a far um, quicker timescale. 
So why, while we might think of Rocket Lab as being this small New Zealand company, in fact, it's actually a, you know, it's a US company with a New Zealand subsidiary with hundreds of employees around the world with a huge amount of money behind it that's now worth, you know, well north of a billion US dollars. And so it's actually a major player. And there's also, um, you know, many companies around the world are trying to do what Rocket Lab does. But to date, Rocket Lab is the only company that's successfully been launching um, small rockets into orbit. Do you think there's a misconception in New Zealand about Rocket Lab, the idea that Rocket Lab is this little kind of uh, number eight wire startup and it's doing incredible things on, you know, the smell of an oily rag? The reality is, is quite different. Yeah, well, there's certainly some truth in that perception that people have. I mean, where the company came from, it was founded by Peter Beck about 15, 16 years ago. And back then, it really was a bit of a DIY operation. But it's come a long, long way since then. So, you know, for the last decade, it's been doing contracts for U.S. military agencies. It's now got backing from a number of quite big U.S. venture capital firms. So there's a lot of money in it. And I think, you know, it's trusted by U.S. military agencies and U.S. intelligence agencies to launch its satellites. So it's we're a long, long way from um, tinkering with rockets in the shed. If you think Rocket Lab and your mind immediately jumps to something like this... Yeah, that's not what happens. The company isn't in the business of astronauts and moon landings, not yet anyway. Rocket Lab likes to think of itself as kind of the FedEx of space, essentially. So the idea is it has these small rockets that it can launch quickly and cheaply, um, and that that allows people to put uh, satellites into orbit on a much faster basis and at a far lower price than in the past. What's a satellite, and what do satellites actually kind of do? That's a good question. So a satellite is essentially anything that's orbiting the Earth. Like in the way, the the, uh, Earth is a satellite of the sun, of course. Um, But when the kind of things that Rocket Lab's launching up there are really varied. Some of them are doing research and development, testing new technologies. A lot of them are uh, capturing data from the Earth, uh, imaging the Earth, taking photographs of it and that kind of thing. And some of them are testing new communications technologies. Rocket Lab has launched 11 or 12 launches so far, depending on whether you count the test launches. And seven out of 11 of those launches have carried payloads or satellites for U.S. military or intelligence agencies. So those agencies include things like U.S. Special Operations Command, U.S. Air Force Space Command, uh, and an intelligence agency, the National Reconnaissance Office, which is the second largest U.S. spy agency after the CIA and uh, NSA. And so this raises real questions about uh, the ends to which a New Zealand space regime, which is which is really new, is being used for. I mean, it raises questions about things like the militarization of space and also questions about what it means for uh, New Zealand's national security. When we talk about the militarization of space, I mean, it's, that, that is not a new thing, right? Space is militarized and it has been for some decades, I mean, some people might say it's been militarised since, you know, going back to the Cold War. That's exactly right. And it is important when we talk about the militarisation of space to, to to remember that it's not just about the extreme end of putting things like weapons into orbit. Um, but more commonly, the militarisation of space involves the broader infrastructure that enables military operations on Earth. So when we look at the major militaries like the US military, it's heavily dependent on its space infrastructure. Um, and even the New Zealand Defence Forces is heavily reliant on this as well. 
Um, but the reason people have concern about this is the more you militarize space, the more you make space assets a target um, in, a, in a conflict scenario. And that poses problems for everyone, not just militaries, because now we are also reliant upon space for so many aspects of our day-to-day lives. For a surprisingly broad range of things, from Google Maps to weather forecasting, storing your data, using your cell phone, all of these are reliant on satellites. So it's, it is something that people should pay attention to because uh, you know, we, we really do want to avoid a situation in which there is a conflict in space. Okay, rule number one of the space industry. Try not to directly contribute to a catastrophic intergalactic war. Glad we can all agree on that. But surely to stop that happening, there are safeguards in place, rules about what you can and can't send up there. So there are both rules at international law, and then New Zealand has its own space regime for regulating what we will and won't approve. At the international law level, it's all quite out of date. So there's an outer space treaty from the 1960s, which essentially rules out things like weapons of mass destruction out there. But using space generally for military purposes isn't, isn't ruled out. In terms of New Zealand's own rules, um, we've got something called the Outer Space and High Altitude Activities Act, which um, was passed in 2017. And this uh, requires both people launching rockets like Rocket Lab and then Rocket Lab's customers to apply to the New Zealand government for permits. So you can't just put something up there. You've got to go apply to the New Zealand Space Agency and then they advise the Minister for Economic Development and he says yes or no. And essentially, the rules are designed to make sure that we're not putting up there anything that's going to damage the environment or put people's safety at risk or or anything that's putting our national security at risk. Last year, the government released some new principles about what is in our national interest in this regard. And it's clear now that the government's not going to approve anything that's contributing to a nuclear weapons program, quite obvious. Um, It's not going to put anything up there that's going to um, be used to destroy or interfere with other spacecraft. But in terms of the broader range of military uses, it's still unclear. The government says that it's not going to approve payloads with, and this is a quote, the intended end use of supporting or enabling specific defense, security or intelligence operations that are contrary to government policy. But exactly what that means is unclear. It's really hard to know exactly where the red lines are in terms of these military military uses of space. Um, it's good. I think all New Zealanders would agree that we're not going to launch nukes. I mean, that would be obviously pretty unthinkable. But, you know, what about uh, collecting or intercepting communications that are being sent around the earth? What about collecting imagery that will be used by the US military to enable it to conduct war or to assassinate people? We don't really know exactly where the government would fall on those issues. Here's Kevin Clements, the director of the National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies at Otago University. If you look at our anti-nuclear legislation, I mean, basically any, uh, anything which advances or enhances um, nuclear capacity or extended deterrence is prohibited. The New Zealand Act, which of 217 you mentioned, said, well, you know, they're clearly not going to put up a nuclear weapon. But these payloads definitely contribute to nuclear weapons programs and capabilities. Even though this payload isn't going to um, actually harm or destroy other spacecraft, which is another criteria, um, it provides the communications and intelligence systems for doing that. Um, and, I, and I think there are some really interesting and important issues here. I mean, you know, we can sort of blithely go along with our Five Eyes commitments and uh, assume that, that uh, you know, we're all on the same page. But at the moment, we have an extraordinarily rogue and unpredictable president in the United States, um, our most um, 
powerful ally, uh, and I don't have any confidence whatsoever that you know these missions are uh, as innocent as they claim to be. Is there a register or, or or a public sort of documentation of what a company is actually sending up, or is that all sort of shrouded in, in, in smoke and mirrors at the moment? Well, usually we have some idea of what's going up there. So in the first instance, people applying for payloads, payload permits, have to tell the space agency the capabilities of what they're launching and what the purpose of the mission is. Now, the space agency isn't required to declare publicly what those things are, but typically as a matter of practice, the space agency does release some information, um, usually at a quite general level. But it is able to withhold some information. So while we know what most of the military payloads launched from New Zealand are supposedly doing, and most of those have been doing research and development or testing technology, um, in some recent cases, and those are the cases involving that US intelligence agency, the National Reconnaissance Office, we don't actually know publicly uh, what those satellites are doing um, and what their mission is. Um, and that's because these these satellites are you know they're classified by the US government. And so the New Zealand government has said when it's been asked by journalists like myself that they can't release that information to the public because it would be detrimental to New Zealand's security and to our relationship with the US. It's easy to get bent out of shape about the military in space. And when you hear this kind of thing... It is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. So important. But military does not automatically mean, you know, bad, boom, pow. Lots of technologies we use today began life as military initiatives, stuff like the internet, GPS, microwaves, modern computers, canned food, even aviator sunglasses. These were all created for or patronised by the military in the beginning. And as we've heard, getting to space is like eye-wateringly expensive. So when you're a company like Rocket Lab and you've got to make a profit for your shareholders, maybe you can't be too picky about who your clients are. When you look at the makeup of the space industry, the militaries around the world are, are a major client. Um, but you hear a lot about this idea of new space, which refers to this development in recent years of private companies getting involved in the space industry. In addition to Rocket Lab, you've got things like SpaceX, uh, Blue Origin, um, companies like that. So increasingly, private enterprises getting involved here. In some cases, they're doing things that um, government organizations used to do. For example, SpaceX you know, launched uh, um, some astronauts into space with NASA. That's a new development. Um, Rocket Lab is launching things that might historically have been launched um, by government agencies. Um, and, and associated with that, we do have a whole range of companies that are doing commercial activity in space. So there are companies that are um, mapping the Earth, collecting imagery from space and selling those to all kinds of people. Um, so it's not just militaries, but there is a difficult question, which is what would it be like if Rocket Lab took a strong ethical line and said we're not going to launch for the military anymore? And I'm sure that would have a big impact on its profitability. But, you know, there are in many major companies around the world, like in Google and Microsoft, um, employees are at the moment really wrangling with these ethical questions. You know, there are strikes at places like Microsoft and Google saying they don't want to be involved in certain programs, whether that's um, with drone warfare or other kinds of data programs that, that raise these questions. So it's not like we can't think about it. Um, we really should confront these issues. 
and companies should confront these issues, even if the answers aren't obvious or easy. How much say does the government or could public pressure on the government actually have on Rocket Lab's operations here? I mean, presumably this is one of the appeals of this and the reason that it actually wrestle with the Economic Development Minister is that getting in on the ground level of, you know, space tech could be hugely profitable for New Zealand, could be really good thing economically. But it would also be possible if we objected to this on moral grounds um, to just say, no, nah, we don't actually want any part of this and we're not going to allow any satellites to leave New Zealand. Are those some of the options that we could kind of take? There's a few options. So one option is if the government, as a result of public pressure, decided that it didn't want to take part in this, it could simply um, can the industry. But I think that would be quite an extreme result and would mean giving up the clear economic benefits that the industry does provide, as well as the benefits to education and science and all of that. And another option is that we have clearer and more rigorous guidelines about what we will launch. Um, and I acknowledge that that will be quite different if you accept that the US military um, is a key customer, not just of Rocket Lab, but of um, American space companies. But the New Zealand government certainly recognises that public pressure could be a really powerful um, factor here. I mean, in fact, one of the important parts of the story is that the New Zealand government since 2017 has been well aware of the likelihood of launches for the US government. And it's been considering this question for, for about three years now. And from the very, very start, it's acknowledged that actually there's a real risk here because we expect that a portion of the New Zealand public will be really opposed to this. And in fact, has considered the idea that actually protests could be very disruptive um, to these launch activities. But the real thing that I think is quite interesting is that rather than treating this as a sign that we should go to the public and have a robust discussion about it, it's instead asked, well, how can we go about managing the public perception of this? So there hasn't really seemed like a prospect that we wouldn't launch these things. Instead, the question has been, how can we convey this to a public in a way that will reduce the risk of disruption and backlash. I worry that the approach the government has taken has more been one of, we will allow this to go ahead and we'll, we'll sort out the problems later. That's not to say the space agency hasn't taken a really proactive approach to things like sustainability and, and the environmental effects of this. But when it comes to that question of our national interest, it, it seems to be the case that from the early days of planning for this, has been an attitude that this is good for our relationship in the Five Eyes, uh, Five Eyes Intelligence Network. And ministerial documents show that ministers see this to be an important contribution to the broader Five Eyes Network. Um, and as a result, I think that's made it difficult to have a public discussion because in a way, the government's attitude seems to be we're going ahead with this, um, whether the public like it or not. But what makes it such an interesting topic is that it really does bring to light some of those underlying tensions in New Zealand's foreign policy. Because as you point out, a lot of New Zealanders think that we do have an independent foreign policy um, and one that is driven by values like you know, promoting peace around the world, promoting democracy, things like that. But in fact, we are also a close ally to the US, which is over the last few decades has been responsible for the major conflicts around the world. Um, and the Five Eyes Intelligence Network, which has been involved in a number of quite unsavoury activities. What sorts of questions did you th would you like to see the public asking and the government answering, and what holes are there in terms of transparency around this sort of wider issue? 
So the, the major hole in transparency at the moment is exactly what constitutes our national interest. And this matters because whether a payload is in our national interest is one of the key things the minister asks when deciding whether to approve a payload. There's been some recent guidance on this, but the major hole is what kinds of military or intelligence purposes are not in our national interest. So I think it's important that we have clearer guidance on this topic that goes down to a more specific level. Um, and I would like to see the public discussing more about what kinds of military and intelligence activities we're happy to be complicit in. Because rolling out nuclear weapons is one thing, but the world of warfare is far broader than just that. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Ollie Nice. Kaki te ano.